Good afternoon, everybody. It is Michael McKee again here with you, uh, pastor at England Presbyterian Church and a part of this Avery County prayer group. I'm glad to be a part of this group with you. I'm grateful for the ways that you continue to serve the Lord and to kind of build and support this community that we're a part of here. Um, we're going to continue this afternoon in um, this devotional series that we've been a part of on the names of Jesus in the scriptures. Names that um, reveal something to us of who Jesus is and the good news that he is to each one of us. I'm grateful for those folks who are teaching and leading through this, and so I'm eager to share just a little bit with the group as well. Um, today we're going to do something that might at first take seem a little uh, controversial. The name of Jesus in the scripture that we're going to attend to is sin. And immediately, maybe you're just kind of pulling back, you're, you're hovering that mouse over the X button, you're ready to click off. What Jesus as sin, before you get too upset, um, know that this actually comes to us from the Apostle Paul, the, the writer of most of the New Testament. Paul calls Jesus this. Paul, who write, writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, calls Jesus sin. It's one of the names of Jesus in the Bible. So stick with me just a minute, and perhaps we will come to see how this is actually really good news uh, for me, for you, and for the world. So how are we going to make our way in? How are we going to get from, from here, it's sort of a, a position of being a bit off-put, a bit upset, bit defensive of Jesus. Jesus did not sin. Well, we'll, we'll agree with that. But how do we get from here uh, to a place where we can also hear good news uh, in the acknowledgement that one of the names of Jesus in the Bible is, in fact, sin? Here's the, here's the pattern. We're going to take a quick look at uh, the offices of Jesus in the New Testament. We're going to move to Hebrews and uh, pick up the conversation there. This will sort of tie in. The offices will tie into where we're going in Hebrews. And then from Hebrews, we're going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that's where Paul lays out for us uh, under, the, under this conversation about Jesus as the one who reconciles the world to himself. It's where Paul talks about Jesus as sin. So we'll get there in a minute. And then I think that will actually have implications for maybe even our present moment um, in a global sense facing pandemic uh, in a national sense as we continue to see um, uh, protests and um, racial strife and all of these things um, death and murder as we think about all of this I think this 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 is actually really good news that Jesus is sin for us okay so let's jump in uh, at the beginning here, offices. Uh, <clears throat> it's not like an office in uh, a church building or at a school or something like that. These offices are actually responsible kind of roles that Jesus fulfills. They were initially given to us in the Old Testament and the people of Israel. Here were particular responsibilities and jobs that people had. There, there are three, three of them. Classic Christian teaching says that Jesus, you, you may even be well familiar with this, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. 
for us. Um, so let's, so the prophet, what does the prophet do? Well, prophet, in the Old Testament, says, Thus says the Lord. Go look at Jeremiah. Go look at Ezekiel. Go look at any of the prophets in the Old Testament. Their responsibility was to communicate the word of God to God's people. And the official um, proclamation of that, the recognition that this comes not from man but from God, was this initial address. Thus says the Lord. Jesus... Fulfills and completes this prophetic ministry that God gave to his people in anticipation of the coming of his son. Jesus speaks the word of God, right? Jesus is the word of God incarnate, and he also speaks it forth. So you can think of times in uh, Jesus' ministry where perhaps. Um, he was speaking or conversing with Pharisees or folks gathered to hear his teaching. He would say, well, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Uh, Jesus claimed in that, and this is why the, the um, uh, scribes and the Pharisees were so upset. He claimed to speak authoritatively, not just for God, but as God. Jesus doesn't claim another authority. He speaks forth the word. Itself, because he is the word incarnate. So Jesus communicates the word of God to the people. Um, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, we might say, oh, Jesus completes that prophetic role because he comes after. Uh, but sort of classic Christian teaching will say, no, actually, because Jesus was always going to come there were actually prophets in the first place so that we could understand who Jesus is when he arrives. So it sort of flips on its head the fact that, well, Jesus actually isn't completing a ministry that got started somehow. No, the ministry was there in the first place so that we could really understand something of who Jesus is when he comes. So Jesus is our prophet. He speaks forth the word of God. Uh, he is also our priest. What does a priest do? What did, what did a priest do in the Old Testament? A, a, a priest's responsibility was to kind of take up a central lo location between God and the people. They, they played a mediating role. So the people would bring their sacrifice to the priest, and then the priest would take it and offer it to God. Um, um, on the Great Day of Atonement, right? Um, only the high priest was allowed to go. The, the people gathered outside the temple, but only the high priest could go in and enter into the Holy of Holies um, there before the Ark of the Covenant and offer up the blood of the sacrificial offering. The high priest um, is the go takes the prayers of the people, the requests of the people, the offerings and sacrifices of the people, and offers them to God. They kind of go through him. Um, Significant thing. But not only that, not only do they offer things to God for other people, they also, in a, in a symbolic way, embody 
all the, they were a representative embodiment. The high priest of Israel represented the entire nation as he went into the Holy of Holies. In fact, uh, part of his garments indicated this. He, he had a, a necklace upon which uh, the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes were represented, each having a symbolic representation, so that when he went in, he carried with him all of the tribes of Israel. So a priest, from a directional perspective, gathers up the prayers and offerings of God's people and offers them to God even in himself as he embodies those people and represents them before the Lord. But the priest also had another responsibility. Their responsibility was to go the other direction as well, to take the communication of the Lord and offer it back to the people. Uh, to come forth after the people have made sacrificial offering and declare the people's forgiveness, declare the people's cleansing. So it was a two-way relationship, right? Uh, so you're beginning probably to see how Jesus, in fact, is not just a priest, but he is our great high priest, right? Because Jesus brings... God's decrees to humanity and also on our behalf. And that, that's the easy part for us to understand. Uh, Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Uh, Jesus is God come to us. The more difficult part of the relationship uh, for us to understand is that Jesus actually does become human. And as a human being, as our great high priest, then gathers all of us into himself and offers all of us back to God in a way that is worthy and true, in a way that affects relationship now. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Our prayers don't just you know, uh, find God on their own. They are funneled, initiated by God's Spirit within us, and then funneled through Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, fulfilling that priestly role, funneled through Jesus to the Father. Um, Jesus takes up and gathers up all of our lives and takes them back to God in a way that is efficacious, that uh, strengthens relationship, that it makes, that makes it uh, a worthy offering. So prophet, the priest, and Jesus is our king. <clears throat> Classic kind of Philippians 2 passage, the Christ hymn. Um, Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a slave, a doulos, a slave, a servant, and was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In uh, our Presbyterian annual calendar, we start the year with Advent, the four weeks preceding Christmas, this announcement that God is coming to us. God is coming to meet us. And he does so at Christmas, right? In Jesus incarnate, the babe in the manger. But we end the year with this. This happens the last Sunday before Advent starts again. So the last day in the calendar year is Christ the King Sunday. It is a recognition that Jesus, the one who came down to us, the one who's incarnate with us, the one who lived faithfully for us, the one who was nailed to a cross and offered his life for us, the one who was raised for us, the one who sent the Spirit for us, and also the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father 
being given the name that is above every name, this same one is now uh, our king, is king over the whole cosmos. His is the name above every name. He is our, our king. And so these are the, the, the threefold ministries of Christ. Uh, he is prophet. He speaks God's word to us because he is the word incarnate. He is our priest because not only does he bring and communicate God's message to us, he also gathers up humanity into himself, embodies us, and then offers our sacrifice, our prayers to the Father in a way now that has been made worthy. And he is our king. His is the name above every name. And one day every knee shall bow and tongue confess indeed that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. What I want to focus on next is Jesus' role as priest. And in order to do that, let's turn to Hebrews. This is chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Familiar passage, perhaps. The writer of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, here's the ascension, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Oh, you should hear that and take a deep breath. We don't have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with us and our with you in your weaknesses. He sympathizes. But we have one, a great high priest, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there it is. Jesus' ministry for us as our great high priest. Um, We have a priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness and who has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. And so we can draw near in confidence because he knows the things that we suffer. He knows the ways that we are tempted. And yet you said his name is going to be sin. You said the New Testament calls Jesus sin and yet here we see that he was without sin. Well, yes, there's a distinction here. Jesus did not sin. He did not commit sin. He became it. He embodied it. He took it on for us. He wasn't out committing sins, but he was made sin. And I'll show you why that uh, is a significant thing. Um, In becoming uh, sin for us, he is able to, uh, in becoming a victim for us, as Hebrews talks about, as the great high priest, Um, He is both the priest who offers the sacrifice, right? But he himself is the sacrifice. Uh, Does that make sense? He's both and. And that's why the sacrifice is worthy. He's the priest who offers it. He's the sacrifice that is offered. Jesus is all of that in his own being, in his very person. Um, But then we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we read in verses 20 and 21. 
<clears throat> and this is, uh, as Paul is talking about, um, uh, chapter 5 talks about the heavenly dwelling with, that we have. It talks about the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus um, carries out and to, into which he draws us. And then in verse 20, at the end of that section, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, who have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe that's a good word for us in this, in this week even. And in this present time, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation, but not out on your own trying to reconcile everybody to your point of view, to your way of thinking. You're, you're to engage in this ministry. You're to take it on. You're to embody it in Christ. It is Christ's ministry, not yours, not mine. It is the ministry of Jesus to reconcile. And now you have been drawn into that ministry. So be thinking about this and be prayerful about this, how you can be an ambassador, especially as we're doing this on Facebook, especially on Facebook, um, as an appeal even to our congregation. I, I wish that I could see as many posts about your morning devotion, as many um, prayers offered up, as I do memes that caricature our present circumstance that minimize one way or another, left or right, uh, things that are not helpful, ways of, of uh, engaging in online activity that are not good ways of representing Jesus. I want you to represent Jesus. You're an ambassador of Christ. You have the ministry of reconciliation. Let's remember that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through you. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So before you can reconcile, you need to be reconciled. And here's the line. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that, we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin. There's the name. Jesus, effectively, God has said, you are sin. He made him to be not a sin, not sin. God made Jesus to be sin. Who knew no sin. He wasn't sinning. Clear about that. So Why? For what purpose? So that we might become, so that you might become the righteousness of God. Um. How do, we, how do we work our way into that? Um, there's a second century, um, I'll put, that's verses 20 and 21, if you'd like to look at that again or if you're looking it up. Um, second century, uh, it's called a church father, he's a bishop. Um, if I'm remembering this correctly, Irenaeus in the second century was a disciple of Polycarp, who's a disciple of John, right? So, You've got the ministry of Jesus, you've got John, you've got Polycarp, then you've got Irenaeus. Very short time um, after Christ's ministry and work. Uh, very closely connected to the uh, apostolic ministry of the church. Irenaeus puts it like this. I'll write his name. Uh, and, and he's before Nicaea and the Creed, so a lot earlier than, this was like 4th century, so a lot of our Christian confessions Summaries of the gospel come to us kind of fourth century time. 
Irenaeus was before this time, and because of that, isn't as wrapped up in some of the Greek philosophical terms that find their way into, say, the Nicene Creed, um, which I confess wholeheartedly. But what I'm trying to say about Irenaeus is that he speaks maybe more biblically. Um, there's not as many other things kind of filtering their way in. Uh, Irenaeus says that, um, in effect, and this becomes sort of a, a, a classic mantra through the centuries, that Jesus became like us, that God in Christ became like us so that you might become by grace completely and totally like Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became like you totally and completely, taking on for you sin itself. Why? So that you might become the righteousness of God. Who's the righteousness of God? Well, Jesus is. And as you, by grace, become totally like him, well, we see that God has become like us in Christ so that in and through Christ you might become like Jesus. A really pretty powerful thing that we begin to see that Jesus became sin. I think an, an analog for this, um, another way of thinking about this, might be, um, so think about the Psalms. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man. Um, and the classic Christian teachers will say, okay, well, who is, who is the man? We, so many of the Psalms are written by David or have an association with David, but who really is, uh, blessed is the man um, who is righteous, right? And his, he on his law he meditates day and night, um, who loves the law of the Lord. Who is the righteous man? Well, ultimately we have to say, that the man of Psalm 1 who is truly righteous is Jesus, even though the Psalms were written well before Christ's incarnation, right? In a similar way, we look at um, Psalm 8. Um, uh, who is man that you are mindful of him and the Son of Man that you care for? This man, man it, it means um, sometimes it's specific, as in Psalm 1, uh, the man, it's gender specific, so more closely associated with Christ. I don't remember in Psalm 8, but, but often that uh, way of phrasing it means human being. So Jesus becomes human being. Jesus is the man. In the Nicene Creed, we say um, that he became man. Not the man um, or not a man. Although both of those would be accurate statements. Jesus became a man, yes. Um, Jesus is the man, not just like, hey, Jesus is the man, which he is, but also Jesus is uh, the man, like the, the man of Psalm 1. But what we're saying here is that Jesus became man. So how often do you say, let's think of it like this, um, uh, Joe became a farmer. Well, yeah, we might say that. Or Joe is the farmer. But whoever says Joe is farmer? Like, as in the whole thing itself. Far, uh, what Joe becomes, like, becomes farmer. You don't say that. But that's what the creed says about Jesus. Jesus becomes man. And so in the same way we can say Jesus becomes sin. He didn't sin, but God made him to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God so that when Jesus went to the cross... 
Sin itself was nailed to the cross and done away with. And some of the church will say that Jesus actually became sin so that he could die. Jesus had the power in his purity not to die because the wages of sin is death, says the Bible. So Jesus in his purity could have chosen not to, but he was obedient even to the point of death, wasn't he? Philippians 2 again. So Jesus became sin itself so that he could enter into death. And in one sense, he becomes death itself as he lies as a corpse in the tomb. But neither could hold him the glorious Lord of life. Could they? Uh, he demolished sin by dying. He demolished death by dying. Uh, he broke us free of the, the two greatest enemies that we have as human beings. This one who became human being for us. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became what we are so that by His good grace and through His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we might become the righteousness of God. As you look out in these days that we are living in, and you see the raging effects of sin all around the world in the suffering that people are enduring, in the number of hospitalizations and illnesses and deaths that happen, not, not even just from a pandemic, but day in and day out, how many people die? How many people are suffering? How many people are hungry? As you look out upon our country, and I don't know if you could hear this or not, but even right now as I'm recording this, there's a protest going on uh, out at the square. As we see um, the effects of injustice in so many different ways and areas in our country and in the world. We do not live in the perfect kingdom yet. As we see the effects of injustice, as we cry out for justice in all its forms, as we cry out for the righteousness of God, as we cry out and pray daily for the for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, for the kingdom of God to come in all its fullness. As we pray for these things, as you see the, the, the devastating effects of sin, not just out there, but in the one place that you can see them most clearly in your own heart. And sometimes that's maybe not the place we see them most clearly. Maybe we like pointing the finger out there, but we don't actually like looking in here very much. Maybe we're we're kind of blinded to the ways in which sin has crept in and snuck in and whispered lies to us and assured us that we have the right perspective and the right thought on everything. And that actually the way we bless the world is by spreading that per perspective to everyone. Maybe, maybe as you see the effects of sin out there and the effects of sin in here, and maybe as you grow hopeless, as one person that I love very much told me uh, this week, Maybe as you feel those things growing in your own heart, wondering what's going to happen, being filled with... Maybe as you see the effects of sin, you can remember that Jesus became sin. Him who knew no sin. And that that is good news because He has done something with it. He has nailed it to the cross. So that in an ultimate sense, Jesus has conquered sin. Sin could not hold Him. And that in Him we are also set free. In Him we become the righteousness of God. Not apart from Him, but in and through Him. And because you have been set free in Christ, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
That's what chapter 5 of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is all about. Maybe go read that whole thing. It speaks of heaven, the kingdom to come. It speaks uh, to us of the ministry of reconciliation that is Jesus and now is ours. Why? Because He became sin for us and conquered it and the grave so that the kingdom of heaven might be open to all who believe so that we might work for justice, for righteousness, for love, for reconciliation, so that we might work for the Lord and serve Him and Him alone. Bless you. Bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king for us. We thank you that we can offer these prayers in his name and that they are made efficacious by his grace, that he even takes them upon his own lips after he has uh, purified them, our one mediator. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the gift that you have taken on sin for us and on our behalf, that you have embodied us and that you have also embodied the, our, our, our entire circumstance. You become totally like us, even to the point of taking sin on and becoming it so that through the cross and the empty tomb, we might be set free. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us. Continue to make us your ambassadors, not ambassadors of our own agendas, of our own perspectives, of our own uh, cultural biases, our national biases, um, or the things that we think are right because we think them. We pray that we might always filter these things through your word, uh, through what you have spoken to us as our prophet, through what you have offered to us as our priest, and that we might readily acclaim you king because we actually believe it and because we do bow our knee. We bend our knee to you. Pour out your spirit upon us and upon this county, this place that you have given us to call home. We are so thankful and ask that your peace might indeed come, that your kingdom would come on earth in Avery County as it is in heaven and into each of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope to see you soon, friends. Bye-bye.